Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. There we go. Thank you, Gwen. You're welcome. Well, I tell you what, it's been a delight to be connected with Glenn and Vicky over all these about 16 years. And, uh, and so if you have any complaints, you can just feel free to come meet to me. Vicky calls me about every other week to complain about wanting him disciplined. <laughs> Actually, Glenn is also an overseer for our church in New Glarus, which... Uh, Next month, we will have been there. We started that church 25 years ago. Prior to that, we've actually been involved in ministry in this region for over 50 years now. I know I only look like I'm about 20 years old, but looks are deceiving, right? <clears throat> you know, one of the things that um, just occurred to me, I'm a prosperity preacher. Now, I have a little bit different definition than most people of a prosperity preacher. I have been prosperous in so many ways, God has prospered us with four children and their spouses that all love God and 12 grandchildren, one of them being Michael, who's the super guitarist. By the way, I got him started on the guitar. Remember that? You owe me. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just got a message. Probably some of you know Chris. Chris is in... New Zealand, and I'm just going to read just a little bit of this. Let's see if I can find it quick here. I may not be able to find Here we go. This is from just this morning. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. So, let's see. In every way and every opportunity, I've been shining my light to everyone who's around me. The biggest takeaway, what I was able to give to these people who are in the other outer islands and off the grid in every way was teaching and showing what it means to have a real relationship with our Savior and Father in Heaven. I'm pretty proud of my grandkids. Amen? Um, our newest grandchild, we have 12. The, youngest, the second youngest is, is 10 years old, but we have one now that's uh, about 11 months. I think we have a picture there. There's Caleb. He is one of the joys of our life right now. So, how many of you know that prosperity means a lot more than finances? Amen? Amen. Well, Glenn and Vicki, thank you for the honor of sharing with your body here today. Um, Glenn and Vicki have truly been a great blessing in our lives. Numerous times I have come, contacted Glenn for some advice and counsel on different situations with our church and, and other churches that we've worked with. Uh, it was about 14 years ago that I had a kind of a close call for about a year there. It was questionable whether I was still going to be here. I had cancer, and I can remember Glenn uh, coming in uh, several times to visit with us and to pray for us. And at one point, the doctor, he was pretty serious, and the doctor took Sandy out of the room to say, there's nothing else they could do for me. It was about 10 days I'd been unconscious and four different kinds of infection and heart attack and the blood clots, all kinds of things going on. 
But um, hey, I'm still here. Amen. God is good. There's a lot more to that as far as what he did because they were going to replace my liver that was destroyed. And uh, when it came time to do that, the test came back that everything was fine and they couldn't understand that. They had me coming back every six months for almost seven years. And finally, the doctor said, there's nothing we could do for you because there's nothing wrong with you. You know, so I still have the same liver. Praise God. Vicki also was a blessing to us at our church for a few years where she did all of our financial work for us. And I just want to tell you, you guys are, are blessed and privileged. I'm not just, uh, I don't want to embarrass Glenn, but I'm telling you, he is one of the leaders in this region and, and a pastor to the pastors. And there are a few others like him, like him that um, really have a heart for the whole region and not just for our individual church. So I'm thankful for you, Glenn and Vicki, and thanks again for just letting me be here today. Amen. Now, um, I have a real challenge today because the message that I put together to share from chapter 10, standing tall and falling hard, you know, I've got this together, and for the last few days, I've just been feeling like there's something more. I want to share this, but if you'll allow me, I'm going to try to squeeze in two sermons. <laughs> so, so sermon number one, create in me a pure heart. Father, I just pray that you'd give us, uh, give us your anointing. I pray, Father, that the things that are in your heart, that are in your heart this morning for your people to hear, that you'd help me to be able to communicate these things. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive this morning. Father, we don't want to leave being just the same. We want to change. Your word changes us. Your word is profound. Every word of God is profound. Help us to not take anything for granted, but to receive what you have for us today. Amen. Well, my purpose each week as we're going through the story at our church is to, uh, I'm assuming that everybody's read the chapter for the week, so I don't get into it all that much, but I've tried to find a lesson or two uh, in it that I can share something relative to that. There's a verse, it's actually a prayer of David, that I have carried with me for many, many years. And I want to share that with you. Psalm 39.4, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And then also from Ecclesiastes 7.4, a wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. I'll tell you what, at 73 years old, I'm at a point where I don't have time to fool around with things that don't matter. And so there are two things I'm hoping everyone here today will go away with as a challenge from God. David's prayer, create in me a clean heart. Folks, it is so vital for us to have a clean heart if we're going to fulfill the purposes that he has for us every day of our life. A clean heart. So I want to talk about that a little bit. 
really everything that we need to know, I believe, about Saul and David is in five verses. First of all, 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14, Samuel is speaking and he says, How foolish, he's speaking to Saul, you have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Now who is that? That's David. Now it's interesting because he, he didn't even know who it was yet himself, Samuel. This is before he actually was told to go and, uh, uh, and, and anoint uh, one of the sons of Jesse. But he knew that God had raised somebody else up. And it's interesting that he said, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Because David, at that point, was probably about 15 or 16 years old. And I would just say to you young people, don't allow that mentality that you're not viewed as a man in God's eyes. Because I think a man can be a man much before 21 or 18 or 17 or 16. I'll tell you what, I've known young men that are 12 and 13 years old that are more mature spiritually than men that are much older. So <clears throat> the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. And see, this is before he had actually done it. But in God's mind, obviously, he had chosen David. He obviously had observed David out in the fields, taking care of the sheep, killing the lions and the bears, and uh, communicating with him. Then, then the Lord said to Samuel, this is uh, chapter 15, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he's not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Now this is so interesting to me. It's one of those that's easy to just gloss over, but it's so significant. Someone told him, now this is after, of course, he'd been rebuked and told that the kingdom was taken from him. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument for himself. Now think about that. The pride, the arrogance. So when we look at the hearts of David, and I know we don't really get into David really very much until the next chapter, but you're all familiar with David. You also know about what happened and his faults and failures. But one of the significant things was David had a genuinely repentant heart. He grieved over the sin, the sins that he had committed. And you can read that in Psalms 25, 32, and 51. We know that he was an adulterer, a murderer, and also a very poor father. <clears throat> Psalm 25, 11, David's confession of sin and repentance. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. You know, with all these lights, I can't see you very well. Is anybody still out there? <laughs> Tell me something. Are you thankful for and love all, all the promises of God? Are you thankful and do you love the promises of God? Well, what about this one? You know, I've got an app on my iPad here where I can go to the promises, 80 different categories, and there's a whole bunch of scriptures in each one from addiction to death and faith and fear and so on. Well, here's one I don't think you'll find in anywhere in there, but it's a promise, twofold promise. Proverbs 28:13. People who conceal their sins 
will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they'll have mercy. Again, prosperity is a lot more than just material things and finances. Health, relationships, so many other things. You know, how many of you know there's really no such thing as a secret? Uh, Pastor Glenn and I both, of course, have known, and you knew him long before I did, Pastor Ted Haggard. And we went to many conferences at his church down there, and I learned to love the guy. He just, uh, I learned so much from him. Tremendous guy. And I remember, I believe it was the last sermon that I had heard him preach was entitled, No Such Thing as a Secret. Well, if you're familiar with him, you know what happened. He did have a moral failure, big time. And I remember just a few weeks before it was exposed, we were visiting down there, and I showed him the headlines of a Wisconsin State Journal, the headlines of a pastor in this region that had had a moral failure, had run off with his secretary. And I showed it to him because I knew he knew this pastor in that setting. And he looked at me and he said, what was he thinking? As I reflect back now, I'm thinking, Ted, what were you thinking when I showed you that? And of course, it was exposed as a tragedy, disaster. Recently, I was asked to meet with a young pastor, a tremendous preacher in this region, in this region with him because it had been discovered that he was siphoning funds out of the church into his personal for his personal use. So he was caught. There's a lot of words you could use for that, but it was discovered. And I met with him, and I shared this verse with him. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. That's interesting, because he was very much, indeed, a prosperity preacher. And I suggested to him that he get a tablet out and just write down all the things <clears throat> that had already been discovered, but then draw a line and write the rest of the things that nobody knows about and confess. Get it out in the open. I said, as a prosperity preacher, do you really want to spend the next 50 years of your ministry with a promise hanging over you from God, those who conceal their sins will not prosper? I'm sad to say he rejected my counsel, and uh, of course he's not at that church anymore, but he's trying to make it in a different situation. I prayed for him, and I'm hoping to meet with him again. Uh, it's not too late for him to repent. It's just that the longer you wait, the harder it is to confess, and the more damage that's done. Well, why confess sins? You know, in the world, in the sales world, to get somebody to purchase something, you want to uh, help them to see that they can gain a benefit or avoid a loss. <clears throat> When it comes to confessing sins, avoiding the consequences. Now David said in Psalm 32, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. There are consequences. When we live with things and sometimes the weeks, the months, the years go by and it's still covered up. And we might even forget about it, but we still have consequences that are taking place 
and we can't understand why are we not prospering in our life? Why is my family not working? Why is my marriage a mess? Why this and that? And many times, if we we'll just go back and confess the things that are wrong, that we've, that the things that we've failed in, and we've all had things like that. You know, many times I've had to confess things that, that, that I've said or done that I realized were wrong, and I, I think that should be a way of life, because that is a way of life, of failing and, and messing up from time to time, and we just need to be willing to, to uh, get it out in the open. So, to confess, and then, of course, you know, it's kind of like the carrot and the stick. If you have that picture of the donkey, if you want to put that up. And I apologize to our sound people because the things that I gave to them are kind of messed up. So if you can make sense out of it, that's great. Anyhow, <clears throat> Third John 1, 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Well, you know, we can do the right things to gain a benefit or avoid a loss. But you know, the really, uh, the right heart is to do things out of a heart of love. Psalm 51.10, where David said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, I'll give you an example of the consequences. We'll talk about sexual sin, uh, fornication, pornography. You know, I don't know if these statistics are right. I saw that 78% of men in churches in America today are addicted to pornography. Now, that's hard to comprehend, and unfortunately, the statistics for women is not too far behind anymore. I'm not talking about watching it once in a while. I'm talking about addicted to it. <clears throat> now, when we say churches, of course, that's all churches, and as we know, many churches today are not really Bible churches, but nevertheless, I believe that uh, it's a very serious problem because I have had to deal with and counsel with many people that are addicted to pornography. And I'll tell you this, over these years I've counseled with a lot of people with various addictions. This is the hardest one to break, by far the hardest to break, but it can be broken, thank God. Now I just want to show you something that we ran across. If you have that picture of the three brains, the one on the left is a normal brain. The one in the middle is a brain on heroin. The other one is a brain on pornography. Now, you think that it doesn't affect you. It actually affects you physically. You know, I think this accounts for a lot of the crazy things, insanity that we see in our world, in our country today, even in government leaders. Brain damage. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, the good news is that it can be healed. It can be brought back to normal. It generally will take up to three years of being accountable and, and being healed and, of course, abstinence from it. Well, there are consequences. Proverbs 5.11, In the end you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. And that can include your brain. Well, there are benefits. Proverbs 5.18-19, Let your wife be a fountain bless, a blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with one of our young men. He's been in the, he was born in our church way back 20 years ago. He's about 20 now. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him in ministry because he just has a heart for God. 
But I talked to him about the pornography issue. And anymore when I talk to young men, I don't say, do you have or have you had a problem with pornography? I'll say something like, tell me about your experience with pornography. Because today, you won't find anybody older than probably eight or nine years old that hasn't been exposed to pornography. And he told me, he said, you know, I was having a problem with that a few years ago. And it's got really convicted me of it. And I got help and I got counsel and I memorized scripture. He said, I am free from that. And I wanted to be free, he said, not because of the consequences or the benefits, because I love God. That's it, isn't it? A heart for God. Let me read from Psalm 32, and David concludes, Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what a joy for those who record the Lord, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. Again, Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Two promises. Folks, I want to finish well. I figure I've got another 20 or 30 years, maybe 40, I don't know, we'll see. But I've seen too many that in their 60s and 70s and even 80s have blown it at the end. And that's not going to be me, by the grace of God. You know, way back in Bible college, back in the 60s, that was the 1960s, not the 1860s, uh, we were in Bible college, we had a youth ministry there, and I, I'll just tell you a couple of experiences that we've had. Because being in the ministry, I think there's maybe more temptations and opportunities for sin than maybe any other profession. But I remember sitting around this round table. I was sitting here and Sandy here, and there was another couple that was working with us, and I was overseeing this ministry. Another person here and this young lady here who had been in the youth ministry with us. Uh, she was now 19. And um, frankly, I had never paid much attention to her, even though she was an exceptionally beautiful girl. I remember her mother had been married five times. And uh, anyhow, we're sitting there discussing planning for this, this meeting. And all of a sudden, I felt something on my leg, and I realized what she had done is she'd taken her shoe off, and she started moving her foot up and down my leg. 
Now, I don't think my leg feels like a table leg. I think she knew what she was doing. But my response was immediate. I mean, it was a shock. Because before God, I can tell you, I never had a wrong thought towards her ever. But the enemy was trying to provide something here for temptation to torpedo our ministry from the very beginning. Immediately, I just moved closer to Sandy, which gave her the message. I didn't jump up and, you know, anything like that. But I, uh, one of the smartest things I ever did, on the way home, I told Sandy exactly what had happened. And uh, <clears throat> so Sandy kept a close eye on her from then on, <laughs> and me. But you know, that poor girl, it was probably six months later she was married, and six months later she was divorced. She was following the same path as, as her mother. You know, uh, it was a few years ago, we were in uh, a conference in Florida with Dave Ramsey, Sandy and I, and uh, one of our sons and his wife. And it was at Disney World. It was a first class event. And, and in the evening, they had um, an outdoor activity outside of the motel, all kinds of food and entertainment. And I was really tired. And so I, I told them, I'm just going to go up to the, to the room and just lay down. And so I left them, and as I'm walking down the hall in this fancy hotel, I hear some footsteps behind me. Sounds like high heels. And well, I didn't pay any attention to it, but then I turned to go towards the elevator, and they followed me. And I got in the elevator, and here was this beautiful woman standing next to me. And so she gets on, and the door closes, and she said, would you like some company tonight? <clears throat> well, I thought of a great response the next day kind of got, caught me off guard. <laughs> My res response was, I'm married, which of course for her probably implied that, well, if I wasn't married, it'd be okay. She said, oh, okay, that's fine. So she got off on the next floor. But of course, right away, I told Sandy about it. And there are just so many things like that. Folks, we need to guard us. It's not just pastors. You all know what I'm talking about. There's all kinds of opportunities that the devil will provide to get you off track. I have a good friend, a pastor friend, some years ago he told me he was counseling with a woman and she said, uh, as she, he was counseling with her because of her troubled marriage and as he was speaking she said, you know, as you're speaking right now, I'm just wondering what it would be like to kiss you. And I don't remember exactly what he said, it was very wise. I thought to myself, I would say, well here's Sandy's phone number, call her and ask her, it's probably no big deal. But, There's a pastor friend of mine who, if I told you who his dad was, quite a well-known pastor, especially 20 or so years ago, very well-known. And uh, he was sharing with me, this young man, he's a pastor, so it's third generation. He said that his grandfather, who was a pastor, and I believe he was in his early 70s, still ministering, and one day, you know, he had lived a good life, good life of ministry. One day he took off with one of the secretaries, went to Mexico, and a few days later he died. How tragic to live a life of serving God, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, all proud of you and admiring. Now, to this day, 20-some years later, what do you think comes to the first thing in their mind when they think of Grandpa? How tragic. I hate the devil. 
Amen? Well, in the Old Testament, we have Saul the king. In the New Testament, we have Saul who became, of course, the Apostle Paul. His final words to Timothy and to you and I. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, I solemnly urge you, folks, take this personally, because this is to us, it really is. I urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Now, folks, that doesn't mean you have to stand on the street and preach, but how many of you realize you have, every one of you have your own congregation at work, at school, wherever you are, your circle, your little world, that is your congregation. And we have a responsibility. And here's the thing. It, the way we do that is simply to love people. Because if, peop if we love people, they sense it, they know it, and they will be coming to us. I wish I had time to tell you some stories of some years ago when I worked at Oscar Myers. I hated working there until God told me to start praying for the people I was going to be working with every day. We had a revival. People saved and healed and all kinds of things. It was very emotional for me to leave that congregation when I left. Uh, I, have, I haven't got time for any more of that, but it was just an amazing experience. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be, uh, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Well, folks, ending well is more than just managing not to fall into gross sin or even having done a lot of good things. It's a lifelong commitment to a love relationship daily with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's difficult to walk in faith in anticipation of God's blessings and positive promises when you also believe His promise in Proverbs 28:13. Those who cover their sin will not prosper. I wonder how many Christian men today are living in fear of exposure since the Me Too revolution a few months ago. Okay, part two, sermon two. You ready for four minutes? Here's the title, Happy Life or a Meaningful Life? Now, I have to read this. I read this whole article to my congregation, but I would encourage you to just write this down. Go to theatlantic.com, theatlantic.com, and type in, there is more to life than being happy. Now, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. It's so powerful. <clears throat> in September 1942, Viktor Frankl, a prominent Jewish psychiatrist and neurologist in Vienna, was arrested and transported to a Nazi concentration camp with his wife and parents. Three years later, when his camp was liberated, most of his family, including his pregnant wife had perished. But he, prisoner number 119,104, had lived. In his best-selling 1946 book, Man's Search for Meaning, powerful book, which he wrote in nine days about his experiences in the camps, 
Frankel concluded that the difference between those who had lived and those who had died came down to one thing, meaning, an insight he came to early in life. When he was a high school student, one of his science teachers declared to the class, life is nothing more than a combustion process, a process of oxidation. Frankel jumped out of his chair and responded, sir, if this is so, then what can be the meaning of life? In 1991, the Library of Congress and the Book of the Month Club listed Man's Search for Meaning as one of the 10 most influential books in the United States. It has sold millions of copies worldwide. Now here's some more of the article. Research has shown that having purpose and meaning in life increases overall well-being and life satisfaction, improves mental and physical health, enhances resiliency, enhances self-esteem, and decreases the chance of depression on top of that, the single-minded pursuit of happiness is ironically leaving people less happy, according to recent research. It is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Leading a happy life, and I've just got some different excerpts here. Leading a happy life, life that psychologists found, is associated with being a taker, while leading a meaningful life corresponds with being a giver. Happy people get a lot of joy from receiving benefits from others, while people leading meaningful lives get a lot of joy from giving to others. In other words, meaning transcends the self, while happiness is all about giving the self what it wants. People who have high meaning in their lives are more likely to help others in need. If anything, pure happiness is linked to not helping others in need. The researchers write. So question. Is your desire to live a happy life or to live a meaningful life? If meaningful, what will be considered meaningful in a short time when you're standing with Jesus, looking back on your brief time on earth? What is the highest purpose? You're familiar with Romans 12, 1. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you, Allow Christ to use your body to live through by the power of the Holy Spirit. This has become so significant to me just in the last couple of years. The revelation of just how significant that is of Christ living in me and his desire to actually live his life through me today and every day. For me to see what he sees and then to feel what he feels and then to do what he does. Folks, it's why we're here. It's our purpose. It's our meaning. You know, in the Bible, many of the translations are inaccurate, modern ones. Uh, many times you, you see the word happy used rather than the actual word meaning, which is often blessed or joy. For example, Proverbs 3.13, it's not happy as the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. It's supposed to be joyful. The word is E-S-H-E-R. Uh, blessed. And then, well, there are many different examples I'm not going to take time to go into. But let me ask you, did Paul have a happy life or a meaningful life? Think about it. How happy was this? I've been put in prison many times, been whipped many times without number, and faced death again and again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I traveled as on many long journeys, I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. Sounds like a really happy day, huh? I have forced, 
face danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I face danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I face danger from men who claim to be believers but aren't. I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Well, there are so many examples, aren't there, in Scripture. Let me just give you one quick example. I've got several I'd like to give. I'm just going to give you one of a lady that I knew that we met when we were in Bible college who had purpose in her life. She had meaning. She wasn't living for happiness. She lived in the apartment next to us. And as you know, many Bible college students like us, we didn't exactly live in luxury. It was about a 400-square-foot apartment with about 10 cockroaches per square inch. <laughs> and she lived next to us on her meager income, all that she had. But every dime that she had extra, she would buy tracks. She was known as the sunshine lady. And I tell you what, on a day like this, if she was standing out here as you leave, you would see her radiance, the joy, the blessing that she was experiencing as God was living through her. I'll tell you what, <clears throat> your pastor your pastors uh, have not pursued the happy life. There's a lot of difficulty in ministry. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of sorrow because you share everybody's. Sometimes I feel like I'm just going to collapse with all the different needs that, that we have to deal with. They become our burden. The only way we can survive is to roll it on to the Lord. But I'll tell you what, there's a happier life than the ministry. If you're, if you're thinking about going to the ministry for happiness, forget it. <laughs> but if you're thinking about ministry for purpose, and the thing is you are. You're called to ministry. You're called to serve. You have your congregation. You know, I said to Sandy jokingly a few weeks ago, what do you think about both of us just retiring, enjoy the time we have left? I wish I had a picture of her face. <laughs> Forget that. Because she has the same heart that I do. We love what we do. A lot, a lot of my colleagues have retired. And, you know, I don't fault them for that. Some of them have gone into different, different kinds of ministries. But I tell you what, we love God, we love people. I'm still seeing what he's seeing. And I'm still feeling what he's feeling. And I'm still doing. And we're going to continue to do what he does Again, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. I wish I had time to talk about my sister Carol. She was such an inspiration. She's responsible for us coming to the Lord. She went to be with the Lord 10 years ago. I went with her to make arrangements for her funeral. She knew she had days, just days left. <clears throat> and on her stone or her uh, plaque over the center, in the cemetery. She wanted Philippians 121. For me, to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. I remember her husband was with us. It was a very serious time at Roselawn. And I remember uh, her husband said to the guy that was trying to be very professional, will that thing have one of those deals that screws up you can put flowers in, one of those urinals? 
I saw that guy recently, and he said they still joke about that. All that. My sister, that was her life, living for Christ. So in the time you have left, will you use it in pursuing happiness, pleasure, affluence, selfish ambitions? Will you look back with Jesus from eternity on wasted years or selfish pursuits or a life of meaningful purpose full of joy and blessings? I want to tell you, I've been at the bedside of many people in their last hours or days or minutes, many Christians with tears, joy that they're going to heaven, but regret at a wasted life, pursuing so many of the things that the enemy provides as distractions that in reality are of no value whatsoever. There's a gentleman that we led to Christ in Nuglaris about 15 years ago. He was probably, possibly the wealthiest man in town. He had collections from all kinds of treasures from all over the world in his house. And I remember the last time I visited him there, he said, you see all this stuff? I mean, it was an amazing collection. He said, it's all junk. He had somebody coming the next week to get rid of everything. It meant nothing to him anymore. He realized he had wasted his life on pursuit of those kinds of things. Well, I'm a few minutes over. Let me just close with this. The last part of Paul's admonition to Timothy and to you and I. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race and have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Finally, I just want to say, you're all familiar with the verse, without a vision, people perish. One of the translations is, without a vision, people cast off restraint. And folks, if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, if we will allow him to continue to show us, it's a good thing to do in the morning when you wake up. Lord, help me to see today what you're seeing. He'll honor that prayer. I guarantee you, he's going to show you a world of people in pain, Christians and non-Christians, and you're going to find real purpose and significance in every day of your life. And when you're doing that, the distractions that the enemy throws out there, whether it's a prostitute trying to uh, make a few bucks or whatever it is, those kinds of things are just irrelevant. You're just not going to, there's going to be zero interest because your focus is on what Jesus is focusing on. So two things today, a clean heart, maintain a clean heart and pursue a meaningful life. Worship team, come. Thanks so much, Roger. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com 
or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.